Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. So good to see all of y'all today. Well, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for our church. Thank you, God, that you've brought us all together today. God, I pray that we will worship you today in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that we would not be lukewarm believers. God, I pray that you would light a fire inside all of our hearts to be drawn closer to you. God, I pray that we would know you intimately and not just about you. Thank you, God, for your word that draws us closer to you, your spirit that guides us. Thank you, God, that you're Emmanuel, you're God with us. God, please speak through me today. And God, please, by your Holy Spirit, guide us in a deeper and better understanding of what it is you have to say to us today. We love you so much, precious Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are currently in our series, and it's the last week of our series, called The Me I Don't Want to Be. And today we're looking at the subject of bitterness. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be a bitter person. The passage we're looking at is in your worship guide. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 73, verse 21 through 28. Psalm chapter 73, verse 21 through 28. Now, we're not going to read the whole psalm, but before we get into our passage, I want to give you a little background of what's going on. So this psalm is written by Asaph. Asaph was a very prominent, for lack of a better term, worship leader. In his time, David appointed Asaph and two other people to sing music before the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant was brought back. And when David appointed worship leaders for the tabernacle and for the future temple, it was Asaph and two other people who were appointed. So when we, when we read Asaph, and when we, when we read the Psalms by Asaph, we're getting a peek into Asaph as a worship leader. That was his prominent role in his time. But Asaph is brutally honest in this psalm. He's brutally honest because he talks about his struggle with bitterness. And he talks about how he looked around and he saw all of the people who were not obeying God, who were not living for God, We're actually saying, God doesn't see what I'm doing. God doesn't see the bad ways that I'm treating people with. In fact, even if he does, I dare him to do something about it. Asaph looks at these people, and he sees his obedience to God. And he says, hey, how come they're doing so well in life, and I, someone who has obeyed God, who is living for him, am struggling? It should be the other way around, right? And yet, it's not going that way. And Asaph he says that he began to regret obeying God, regret obeying and living for God. Because where had it gotten him? Not anywhere beyond the other people who weren't living for God. And he says at the beginning of this psalm, I almost slipped because I became envious of evil people. But in our passage that we're going to look at today, he starts to realize that he has no reason to be bitter about the past because of the God that's with him in the present and the future. So let's look at this passage, verse 21 through 28. He says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast 
before you. So when he was bitter about the past, bitter about his life, he was senseless and ignorant, a brute beast before God. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So like I said, we're talking about bitterness today, and we see Asaph's bitterness, and even if it's not exactly what you experience bitterness about, we can all relate to what he's going through. In other words, we can all relate to, in the past, having difficult and painful and hard experiences that, if we're not careful, can make us bitter right now. And we've all had difficult and hard experiences in the past. And I've, from getting to know all of you, I've heard a lot of all of your past experiences that were difficult. I've never met anyone, actually, who said, well, life's been perfect. I've gotten every single thing that I want. It's all gone my way. No, we've all had things go the opposite of the way that we wanted them to go. We've all faced evil things. You know, maybe you were mistreated by somebody. Maybe you faced injustice. Maybe somebody did evil to you, and you live today with the hurt of that. Maybe you faced rejection in the past. Maybe somebody who you cared about said, I don't care about you or I don't want to do life with you. And that stays with us today and that hurts. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe you got hurt in the past and you're carrying it with you today and you're upset about the pain that you've experienced maybe physically and you're saying it's not fair. It's not fair that my body doesn't work the way that it used to. Or maybe it's not fair that I went to the doctor and got misdiagnosed and something happened to me that should not have happened to me. There's all kinds of things that happened in the past that we have to live with today that's difficult. And if we're not careful, they can make us bitter people. In other words, you know, we all know what bitter is. If food tastes bitter, oh, that tastes gross. That doesn't taste good. That's not sweet. We want life to be sweet. And yet, a lot of times our past can make us bitter. So Asaph, he experienced bitterness, but he shows us in our passage today how we cannot be bitter people. How can we not be bitter people? Well, three things we're going to look at. The three things that he says, how to not be bitter. Get rid of the mirror, see your portion, and have faith for the future. So let's get into it. The first one, get rid of the mirror. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 21 through 22 again. He says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So Asaph says when he was bitter, it had an effect on him. In other words, sometimes when we're bitter and we experience bitterness, we think, 
okay, that doesn't have an effect on me. I can be bitter all I want, and it won't affect me in any way. And yet, Asaph says, when I had a grieved heart, and when my spirit was embittered, I became senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. What does that mean when he says, I was like a brute beast before you? What is he talking about? Well, the word in Hebrew that this is translated into as brute beast, a lot of times in the Old Testament, it's translated as cattle. It's like he's saying, God, when I'm bitter, I become like cattle, senseless and ignorant. In other words, he's kind of saying, when I'm bitter, when I lean into bitterness in my life, I kind of become like a stupid animal. And that sounds kind of harsh, but I'm guessing none of us want to be like cattle. Why? That would be a waste of life. We're human. We're meant to do things. We're meant to go somewhere. And yet cattle, they just sit there. They just stand there. And that's great for cattle, but that's not good for us. None of us want to live like that. We all want to believe we have a future and we have a sense of direction that God is taking us into. But when we constantly dwell on the unfairness of the past, what's happened to us in the past, then what happens? We're unable to live for God in the present, in the future. In other words, the life we were meant to live, we don't live because we're so stuck in the past that we become just like a dumb animal. We don't mean to, but that's just what happens to us. And we need to be honest about what bitterness does to our lives. It takes our lives away from us. I don't think I've ever told you all this, but I'm a huge, huge, huge Harry Potter fan. I love Harry Potter. My grandma gave me my first copy when I was 11 years old, and I've been reading them over and over and over ever since. One of my favorite parts of the books comes in the very first book. If you've never read the books or seen any of the movies, let me give you some background. Harry, his parents are murdered when he's a baby. And so he goes to live with his aunt and uncle and his cousin who are abusive, and they mistreat him. But then when Harry turns 11 years old, he learns that he is a wizard and he has powers and he can go to school and learn how to use those powers. And while he's at that school called Hogwarts, one night he's sneaking around the castle and he finds this room with a mirror in it. And when he looks in the mirror, he does a double take and he's scared because there's people in the mirror. But he looks behind him and there's nobody behind him. But when he looks in the mirror, there's people in it around him. And he goes closer to it, almost to the point that his nose is up against it. And he sees the woman standing next to him. He realizes that's his mom. That's his mom that was killed when he was a baby. And that guy next to him, that's his dad that was killed when he was a baby. And he can surmise and guess that the people behind him are his granddad and his uncle and these other family members that were murdered and killed. And he realizes, these are the people I never had in my life. What is up with this mirror? Why am I seeing this when I look in this mirror? So of course, he sits there for hours and hours and hours because he's never had a mom and dad. And this is his chance to have a mom and dad. So the next night, he comes back. He sits there and he looks in the mirror. And the next night, he comes back. But the next night, he's so fast to run in there and spend time looking at his parents. And he doesn't realize that the headmaster of the school is already in the room. He says, back again, Harry? And, oh, he's been caught. 
He's going to call it being out late. But the headmaster, Professor Dumbledore, is not mad at him, but explains to him, Harry, do you know what this mirror is? Well, I don't know. I know that it shows me my family. He says, Harry, this mirror shows us nothing more, nothing less than our deepest desires. The happiest person could stand in front of this mirror and see himself exactly as he is. In other words, when you stand in front of that mirror, you see your heart's deepest desires. And Harry, who never had a family, when he looks in that mirror, he sees a family. That's all he wants. That's all he desires. But Dumbledore says, Harry, I must warn you. Men have wasted away in front of this mirror before. People have gone mad and lost their grip on reality. And Harry, this mirror is being moved to a different room. And I ask you not to go looking for it again. Harry, it does not do to dwell on dreams forget to live. Just not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Is it bad that Harry is hurt in his past, that he's lost his family? No, not at all. But what Dumbledore is warning him about is that if you dwell on this, if your entire life becomes about this, if every night you sit in front of that mirror looking at what you don't have, you will miss out on what you do have. You're in a school with tons of friends. You get to learn so much, and yet you could waste your time standing in front of a mirror. And we don't have to have a magical mirror to do what Harry did, do we? No, we can all do what Harry did. We can all lay on our beds and say, oh, life could have gone different. Life could have been better if this happened or if this didn't happen. And it does not do to dwell on the past and how it's robbed you and it's hurt you and forget to live. Get rid of the mirror. I'm not saying forget everything that's happened to you. That's impossible. What I am saying is do not live there. Do not live in the past. Or else you'll become like a dumb animal who's wasting its life. That dumb animal is not wasting its life, but we would be wasting our lives if we became like that dumb animal. So get rid of the mirror, but also see your portion. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 23 through 26. Asaph says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, Asaph, his bitterness came from what? It came from when he looked back and he saw what he didn't have. But his healing came when he started to look at what he did have. And what he did have was God. He says, you are my portion. He looks at what everybody else has and he gets jealous a little bit because he sees their portion. But then he says, oh, but I totally forgot about my portion. My portion is so much greater than their portion. My portion is God. Look what he says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So basically, I look to the heavens. I look all around me. Everywhere I look, 
I don't have anything greater than you. I don't have anything that I want besides you. But if you look, once again, if you look at the Hebrew, when he says, earth has nothing I desire besides you, the Hebrew can also be translated, earth has nothing I desire without you. In other words, Asaph is saying, I look back and I think of all the things that I could have had in my life. But I also realize that if I got everything that I ever wanted in the past and did not have God, it would be pointless. I can have everything I've ever wanted, but God, I don't want it if I don't have you. How great is it that God is your portion? God makes everything you could ever want having worthwhile because God is with you. And Asaph can look at these people that have all of this stuff, but he says, I thought I was jealous of them, but he must actually be miserable because they have it, but they don't have the God that holds my hand. Every year in my family, my mom and my dad and some of my extended family, they go off to Panama City Beach, Florida. They go off to enjoy, as soon as school starts, when all the kids go back to school, they go to the beach and they have it all to themselves. And the last time I went was probably 2015, so I've missed out the last few years on going with them. But usually before they go, my mom will give me a, a kind of a depressing but also kind of important talk. She'll say, Cody, you know, it probably won't happen, but, you know, we're taking a long trip and something could happen to us. So it, it probably won't happen, but if something happens to us and we don't come back, these are some documents I need to show you. These are some financial things I need to show you. This is the will to the family. These are things that I need to know in case they don't come back. And so my mom tells me, in the will, if we die, then our house goes to you and your brother. Well, that's very nice. Thanks, Mom and Dad. But when Mom and Dad tell me, if we die, you get our house, do I go, oh, I hope you die. I hope you don't come back. Because then I'll get a house. I don't say that. If anything, I say, well, if, if getting the house means losing you, I don't really want the house. I mean, thank you. It's very nice of you. But I'm rooting for you to come back. Because what makes the house special is you. And that's what Asaph is saying. He's saying, everything that I could ever want, it's not special unless I have God with it. God is what makes my life special, makes everything else in my life become what it was meant to be. Life, according to Asaph, is not about what we have. It's about who we have. Life is about who we have. And Asaph says, we have God. He is your portion. You're going to look all over the place in life and you're going to see all kinds of things you want. You're going to even look back in the past and see the things you wanted. But see your portion. Your portion, what belongs to you is God. Don't look for the past to be your portion. It was never meant to be your portion. Look for God himself to be your portion. He says, God, you're the strength of my heart and you're my portion 
forever. See your portion. But also have faith for the future. Have faith for the future. Look at verses 27 through 28. He says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Now, Asaph was bitter about the past until he thought about the future. Until he realized that God has great things for me in the future. As for me, it is good to be near God. Not just now, but always. And I will tell of all your deeds. Not just I have told all your deeds, but I will tell all your deeds. Which means what? What means that God is going to do things in the future that I have not yet seen. And I have faith for the future, not just faith in the future. I'm not talking about a blind optimism that says, oh, I assume things will be okay in the future. No, it's a faith in God saying, because God is going to work in the future and be with me in the future, I can have faith to face and go into the future. Because when we're bitter, we're stuck in the past. But faith in God allows us to be excited about the future and say, yeah, things have not always gone my way in the past, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story. The story goes on and on and on because I have faith in the one that goes on and on and on. This week, when I was watching the news, usually you don't see very happy things on the news, but sometimes they show you some things are uplifting and heartwarming and this week they showed a four-year-old girl named Men Best. Now, Men Best, she doesn't have any arms. She was born without arms. But she was on the news because she paints. How do you paint without arms? Well, she uses her feet. She picks the brush up with her feet and she brushes her paintings. And Men has every reason in the world to be bitter because she doesn't have arms. But her mom says, she is the happiest girl. Her joy is contagious. She inspires people of all ages. And men even said it herself. She said, God just made me this way. God just made me this way. What if, what if men spent her life bitter, even as a four-year-old, bitter? I don't have arms and other people have arms. Well, then she would have wasted what she has the ability to do, which is to paint. And the world's going to have more paintings in the future because her faith is not in what she is missing, but what she has. And what she has is God, and she finds purpose in what she's missing out on. Because she says, I have God, and because I have God, I have a future. And there's going to be paintings in the future because I'm leaning into that future. I'm going to get to experience a family in the future. When you look at all the things you don't have, you're going to be bitter. But she's not bitter, even though she has every right to be, because she's looking at what she does have. And it's causing her to have faith for, not just in, but for the future. I heard a pastor recently put it like this. When you make coffee every day, you put the coffee grounds in, right? Now, if I said, here's some coffee grounds, you would say, 
I don't want that. If I was to taste some coffee grounds, it'd be bitter, it'd be gross. If I had a, a cup of creamer, I don't know about you, but I, I need about a whole cup of creamer in my coffee each time I drink it. If I just drank the cream, ugh, that would be gross, right? You don't want to just drink the cream. Individually, the cream and the coffee grounds are not good in and of themselves. And when we look at the past, we can see that there are bitter and bad experiences. But when we have faith for the future, this is what we're believing, and this is what that little girl believed. That God can take my bitter experiences and my bad experiences in the past and make them into something good. When you drink a good cup of coffee, you know what it's made out of? It's made out of things that by themselves are not good, but together become good. And God can work all things out, even if they're bad, for good. Just as you work all of those things out for a good cup of coffee. The past, it does not have to determine your future. If you sit in the past and just eat coffee grounds and drink cream, yeah, the present will be bitter. But if you say, that was bitter, but I know God's going to turn it into something, then you can have faith for the future and say, I'm not dreading the future based on my bad past, but I'm looking forward to the future. I'm exhilarated about the future because God has good things for me in the future. Psalm 40, verse 5, puts it this way. I love how it puts it. It says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, it would be too many to declare. The things you have planned for us, they're wonderful. Were I to talk about them, I wouldn't be able to because there are too many to declare. God has good things planned for us. There's songs you've never heard yet that you're going to hear and you're going to love. There's experiences with your family that you're going to have that will become one day good memories. There's, there's vacations you're going to get to experience that are life-changing. Those things are in the future. But if you live in the past, then you won't get to experience that future. You'll be essentially wasting away. <clears throat> God tells us to have faith for the future. But the reason we don't look to God is because the enemy, the devil, he wants us to look literally everywhere else. He wants us to look anywhere else, especially the past, so that we won't look at what God wants us to look at. What does God want us to look at? The devil will try to get us to look anywhere except our hand. Well, the psalm says, you hold me on my right hand. The enemy wants us to look anywhere else so that we won't see that God is holding our hand. Because if we saw that God was holding our hand, we would find peace and reassurance. But I want you to look at that hand that's holding your hand. Because if you do, you'll notice something about it. You'll notice that there's a hole why? Because Jesus is the one that's holding your hand. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to hold your hand, who came to be your portion 
forever. Why do we get bitter? We get bitter when we define ourselves by what life has done to us. How do we get better? By defining our lives by what Jesus has done for us. Yes, there is pain and hurt in the past. There is evil that's been done to you. And I'm not saying those things are right. What I am saying, though, is do not define yourself by what has been done to you by life, but by what has been done to you by Jesus. Yes, all of those things are in the past, but the cross is also in the past. And Jesus went to the cross so that he could be your portion forever, so that he could be the strength of your heart forever, so that he could hold your hand forever. And so often we go throughout life obsessed with the past. Don't define your life by the past. Define your life by the cross. Define your life by what God has done to you to bring you to him. You're with him now. I'm not saying the past is okay, but if you're with Jesus, the present is okay. And the future is going to be okay. And it's all going to work out in the end. Because as we talked about earlier, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. If it's not good now, it will be. And you can trust that. Your past does not have to determine your future. Jesus made sure of that when he went to the cross and when he rose from the tomb. Let's pray. Dear God, there are times when we think about things in the past and it, it hurts. It hurts, God. And We thank you, God, that we don't have to live in the past because you live with us. You're God with us. You hold us by our right hand. And God, we know you'll take us into glory because you share your glory with us. You share your goodness with us. Life may have had bitter moments, but there's nothing sweeter than you. So God, I pray that we would seek after you, that we would define our lives by the sweetness of Jesus and not by the bitterness of anything that's happened to us in the past, God. Bitterness is real, but we know that it's going to cause us to waste away. And we don't want to waste away. We want to live. And the only way to live is to be in you, the one who defeated death and rose from the grave. Because you live, we can live. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.